Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So last week at this time, I was publishing an op-ed on HartmanReport.com, and then uh, I broke it into about 50 little tiny tweets and tweeted it out as a tweet storm, and it got retweeted by Lawrence Tribe and Heather Cox Richardson and a few other people, uh, which kind of broke the Twitter machine. And the essence of this article, and you can find it at HartmanReport.com. It's in the upper right-hand corner now in the most you know, read articles. It's titled, The Nightmare Scenario SCOTUS, the Supreme Court, is plotting for the 2024 election takeover, which is you know, what it's all about. And I start out with this pointing out that the Supreme Court just granted cert a case that is going to be coming before them in October. The oral arguments will begin in October. And the following scenario is what could come out of it. So it's November. It's November 2024. And Biden's running for re-election against Ron DeSantis. And Biden wins 84 million votes. DeSantis gets 77 million votes. But, you know, that's not enough, right? You've got to win the Electoral College as well. George W. Bush lost the popular vote, yet he became president. Donald Trump lost the popular vote by three million. Bush lost by half a million. Both of them went on to be in the White House, even though they lost both elections. How does that happen? Well, the Constitution says that it doesn't matter how the people vote. What matters is the Electoral College. So anyhow, CNN is reporting that the outcome is a virtual clone of the 2022 election. It's uh, 306 to 232 in the Electoral College, a 74 vote uh, margin for Biden. And looks like he's going to be spending the next four years in the White House until the announcement comes out of Georgia. Although Biden won the popular vote in Georgia, their legislature decided it can overrule the popular vote and just awarded the state's 16 electoral votes to DeSantis instead of Biden. An hour later, we hear from five other states with the Republican-controlled legislatures where Biden won the majority of the vote, just like he had in 2020. North Carolina with 15 electoral votes. Turns out I was wrong on North Carolina, but just for the purposes of illustration. Wisconsin with 10, Michigan with 16, Pennsylvania with 20, and Arizona with 11. Each has followed Georgia's lead, and their legislatures have awarded their electoral college votes, even though Biden won the popular vote in each state, to DeSantis. 
So now you've got 88 electoral votes shifting from Biden to DeSantis. And guess what? DeSantis has declared the winner. Wolf Blitzer says, okay, that's it. DeSantis has won the election. This is the third Republican in the 21st century to have become president after having lost the national election. George W. Bush lost the national election. The Supreme Court put him in the White House anyway. Donald Trump lost the national election. The Electoral College put him in the White House anyway. And I'm hypothesizing that this could happen in 2024. So how does this play out? Well, this all goes back to Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution, which says each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct. Now, that's the critical part. The legislature gets to direct. Well, I'll finish the sentence. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in Congress. The electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for two persons, which list they shall sign and certify and transmit seal to the seat of the government of the United States directed to the president of the Senate. The president of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate and House of Representatives, open all the certificates. The president of the Senate, by the way, is the vice president. And the vote shall then be counted. The person having the greatest number of votes shall become president. I mean, it's not ambiguous at all, even when you clarify it with the uh, 12th Amendment or the Electoral Count Act of 1887. Neither, none of those three things mentions the will of the people. We don't elect presidents based on the popular will. Now, it's usually worked out that way, but, you know, not always, right? Uh, Rutherford B. Hayes became president, even though Sam Tilden won both the Electoral College vote and the popular vote in 1876 in that election. So what happened there? Well, exactly what Donald Trump was trying to make happen in 2020. The election, because four states had multiple slates of electors, the election got thrown to the House of Representatives, and the House of Representatives was, you know, there are 30 states control. The House, each, each state's delegation has one vote in the House, and that vote is determined not by the members of the House, but by the members of the state legislature back home. So you've got 30 state legislatures that are Republican-controlled, and it would have thrown the election to Donald Trump. So... This fall, the Supreme Court is going to hear a case, Moore v. Harper, in which it is entirely possible that five or six right-wingers, five or six Republicans on the Supreme Court will say, yeah, we, we endorse John Eastman and Donald Trump's independent state legislature theory. We endorse this idea that it is not up to the people who is president, it is up to the legislatures of the states, because that's what it says in the Constitution. And frankly, I'm expecting this because I don't think it's ambiguous. I don't think there's any confusion here, frankly. Now, the states, what has happened over the years, and you know, it started maybe 100 to 150 years ago, was that the states started passing laws saying that we will award all of the electoral college votes in this state, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, or whatever it may be. We will award all of the electoral count votes to the candidate who, got, who won the popular vote in our state. We'll give them all our electoral votes. But states don't have to do that. States can change their laws, and in fact, two have, Maine and Nebraska, I believe is the other one, um, have changed their laws to say that, uh, you know, we're going to split the state in half. So it's possible that we could split our electoral vote in half. It's still, you know, regionally decided. Whoever wins the popular vote gets the electoral vote. But instead of 50 
uh, jurisdictions casting electoral votes now, plus the DC, plus DC and Guam and whatnot. We now have 52 because Maine and Nebraska have added to that. But but all of it is operating under these old rules, and the Supreme Court could very easily say states don't have to follow those rules. Even if it's state law, they don't have to follow those rules because federal law supersedes state law, and federal law, the Constitution, which is the ultimate federal law, says that it's up to the state legislature which candidate for president gets that state's electoral votes, period, full stop. End of discussion. NPR wrote about this. They said the independent state legislature theory was first invoked by three conservative U.S. Supreme Court justices in the celebrated Bush v. Gore case that handed the 2000 election victory to George W. Bush. In that case, the three cited it to support the election of a, or the selection of a Republican slate of presidential electors. Those three were Rehnquist, Scalia, and Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas is still on the court. And, you know, like I said, this was John Eastman and Donald Trump's shtick. And, and by the way, this isn't the first time that Republicans have con seriously considered doing this. Back in the 2000 election, the, down in Florida, Jeb Bush was the governor of Florida. George Bush was the governor of Texas. He was running for president. His brother ran Florida. And, in, and Florida's legislature was Republican-controlled. And the state Supreme Court, and it, you know, the count had come down to 536 votes in favor of George W. Bush. And the, uh, the Gore campaign said, we'd like a recount. And the state Supreme Court of Florida said, okay, let's recount the entire state. Nothing wrong with that. It's, it's you know, millions and millions and millions of votes, and it's down to 536 votes. So we'll recount the whole state. And George Bush went to the Supreme Court and sued and said, stop them from doing this, because the recount might throw the election to Al Gore. The, the petition actually said, the recount may cause irrevocable harm to petitioner George W. Bush. And Scalia quoted that, saying, yes, it will cause irrevocable harm to Bush, in the opinion, in Bush v. Gore, when the Supreme Court handed the election of 2000 to, to Al Gore. But here's where it gets interesting. When the Supreme Court said, okay, we're going to recount the state, at that point, Jeb Bush met with the Republican legislature, and this is from the New York Times, November 28, 2000, 22 years ago. 22 years ago. You think this is a new idea that John Eastman and Donald Trump came up with? Oh, no. 22 years ago, from the New York Times, quote, the president of Florida's Senate said today that Governor Jeb Bush had indicated his willingness to sign special legislation intended to award Florida's 25 electoral college votes to his brother, Governor George W. Bush of Texas, even as the election results are being contested. You get that? The state legislature in Florida was prepared to pass a law saying, we don't care how the people voted in Florida, we are going to give our electoral college votes to George W. Bush, no matter how this uh, Supreme Court mandated recount comes out, period. They go on 22 years ago to say talk of a special legislative session continued unabated here today as local Republicans fretted about the possibility that the justices on the Florida Supreme Court might uphold the challenge, might uphold the challenge by Vice President Al Gore for a statewide recount, ultimately awarding him the state's electoral college votes. So Republicans have been all about this for 22 years. This is not a new idea. And now it's before the Supreme Court. 
And if they rule the way that I'm concerned, they're going to rule. And others, uh, Lawrence Tribe on Monday of this week published a, a great piece about this in the Los Angeles Times, for example, that went into a whole bunch of other detail other than what I had found. And I think that this needs to be on our radar screen, that the Supreme Court is possibly preparing to give Republican-controlled states where Democrats win the white win the uh, the popular vote for for the president, where where the legislature is controlled by Republicans because of gerrymandering, like Wisconsin, like Michigan, like like well, Georgia doesn't have a Democratic governor. May North Carolina is preparing to say to those states, you can just give your your votes to the Republican. This is the Tom Hartman program, and we'll have a repeat of the election of 1876, where the guy who won who lost the vote both electoral, college, and popular, ends up in the White House. Victoria Jones is on the line with us, the chief Washington analyst with the D.C. radio company. Victoria Jones D.C. is her Twitter handle. And Victoria, I understand that a certain Larry is about to be very happy. Well, I think Larry the cat, the number 10 cat, might be quite happy because I'm not sure that he ever really bonded. I'm not sure that Larry the cat ever really bonded with Boris Johnson, the British prime minister. And I I call him the British prime minister because he has resigned, but he's not out of number 10. And won't be until October, if I'm reading this right? That's what he says, but that's not really what a lot in his party want. Uh, uh, even uh, former Prime Minister John Major, has, uh, who is also a conservative, said Boris has to go now. He needs to go now. The leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, has uh, said yesterday, actually, that if, if Boris Johnson does not go immediately, he will call another no-confidence vote, and he wants a general election. Because people, people think that it's possible that Boris could do various... Oh, and Dominic Cummings, um, Johnson's former close advisor, has said that Boris Johnson will inflict carnage his word on the country if he's allowed to be a caretaker. How? I mean, you know, the, the, the principal hit, I mean, obviously there are people who don't like his politics. I get that. But the principal hit on him is that he's a liar, that he, he lied about parties. He lied about this guy that he got this appointment who had been accused of sexually assaulting women and, and Johnson lied that he didn't know about that. I mean, basically, and, and which raises a second question, by the way, that I want to I don't want to forget to get to here, Victoria, which is mm-hmm. how is it in in your former country? I realize you're an American now, but, you know, the country of your birth, that a liar at the highest level of government is kicked out, even though he's a conservative and, and you know, pretty kind of Trump like in many ways. But here in the United States, we get this guy who tells 36,000 lies over a four year period and he's still embraced by his political party. I don't get that either. That's so far above my pay grade. To, oh, my, I don't know what you want me to do with that one. Okay. All right. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, he's, he's kicked out. He was kicked out over finally, finally. You know, eventually, the, the straw that broke the camel's back is, is a saying for a reason. And the, the, final, the final scandal was the Chris Pincher scandal. 
and that's a Conservative Member of Parliament, uh, a senior member of Parliament, a Deputy Chief Whip, one of those guys who uh, put pressure on other members of Parliament to vote in a certain way. Kind of the Steve and, Scalise uh, of Parliament. Yes, yes. And at the end of June, he went to a private member's club in June. And in his words, he drank far too much and embarrassed himself. And what he did is he's accused of groping two men, according to numerous other members of parliament. Um, and uh, that's led to all kinds of other allegations, many dating back years. He's known to be an alleged serial groper of men. And Downing Street, in other words, where uh, Boris Johnson lives, says that he was not aware of specific allegations. That's what they said at first before he appointed him to this job. Very important job. Then uh, later on, um, because it turned out not to be true, it turned out not only then he said he was aware of it. Well, then it turns out that he was told in person. And then he said... Well, yes, I forgot. <laughs> so so uh, we're talking with Victoria Jones, Chief Washington Analyst for the D.C. Radio Company. Uh, so, Victoria, the inflation in the United Kingdom right now is higher than it is in the United States by about two points, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, your price of gas, of course, is much more expensive there than it is here. Um, the, uh, the economy is in, is in rougher shape than it is here in the United States. Does that have anything to do with this? I mean, you know, here yeah. there's all this dissatisfaction with Biden because of the economy. Um, although, you know, we've got the lowest unemployment rate we've had since 1963, but still. Yes, the, the uh, inflation is now 9.1%. Uh, it's, obviously, it's not on Boris Johnson's fault, but it's 9.1%. Food is up. There are food shortages over there. I, I was there for a wedding uh, just over a month ago, and, uh, and there are also shortages over there. Um, you know, the government's done some things, but it also increased taxes in April, which infuriated people. Mm. Um, but, you know, middle-class people paying, what, uh, like $50,000, $60,000 a year, um, you know, earning that, are paying more. So that is not a big income to be paying more in taxes. Right. No, I, I, I totally get it. And, and, and Brexit, the UK has separated itself from the rest of the European Union, a very controversial thing that appears to have been driven in large part by trolls from Russia, of all things. Boris Johnson, this was his thing. Are, are Brits having second thoughts about Brexit? It's hard to tell right now. However, there are one or two who were anti-Brexit conservative members of parliament who are now saying, once Boris Johnson is out, Brexit needs to be revisited and the whole thing needs to be looked at again, which is a really interesting aspect of this. Yeah, yeah, That's, that could get very interesting. Victoria, thank you so much for dropping by and filling us in. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Great talking with you. Victoria Jones, Victoria Jones DC on Twitter. Check her out. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best 
to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Michael in Bentonville, Arcan- or Bensonville, Arkansas. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? I just wanted to make a, a comment that, you know, that there's last year, I, you know, I read uh, Madeline Albright's book, in which she talked about how fascism, you know, happens. Yes, it's a brilliant book, and by the way. I was very encouraged. I was very encouraged because one of my one of my school kids on the on the uh, on my bus that I drive during this during during the school year, uh, you know, was asking me questions about it, and mm-hmm. I thought I thought you know, young people would need to understand what's going on because because the chaos is happening right now right and chaos typically precedes fascism and and in fact typically fascists use chaos as a way of achieving power yes and i just i I just i just think that there's just billions of americans that don't that it's happening right before their eyes but they don't actually understand you know what the result of this chaos will be you know and you know that you know that our freedoms will be re- you know restricted you know uh, you know elections and democracy will be a big yeah, well, they're being restricted right now, Michael. I mean, you know, your your freedom to just walk around out, outside without getting shot is being restricted. Your children's freedom to go to school without being terrified and to grow up without post-traumatic stress disorder is being affected. Um, you know, the, your ability to live in a in a clean environment is being affected. On and on it goes. Michael, thank you. Yeah, spot on. I share your concerns. Shay in Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, Shay, what's on your mind today? Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon, fellow Americans and everyone around the world. Tom, I just wanted to say that seeing a pattern, uh, one of your grants in regards to Paul Manafort mm-hmm. and Ukraine, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's here's a pattern for you. Um, on June eighth, uh, twenty twenty two, the Washington Post did a story on the Satan, aka Ron DeSantis. Uh, regarding his press secretary, Christina Pushaw, she actually is uh, having to register register as a foreign agent from Russia after the Justice Department contacted her. Really? So, so Ron DeSantis has a Russian working as his press secretary? Absolutely. And she's had to register voluntarily before they did a more formal request. Uh, she was the, um, I can't think of, uh, what her position was. Oh, she was the, she, she worked for the president of Georgia, Mikhail, um, Kashvili, wasn't it? Something like that. Yes. So you're talking about connecting the dots. And I just want to say that every 
even with Larry and uh, connecting the dots with the with the energy, which we know Russia has a lot to do with, and Saudi, mm. I will never forget when I saw um, uh, uh, what's his name from from Saudi, him, the one who killed Khashoggi. MBS, yeah. Uh, yes, MBS, and also uh, Putin on film. Just high-fiving, basically slapping hands, and mm-hmm. they look like old buddies. Like, they were just so happy. These people are all in cahoots. Trump was was a plant for for, for Russia. I believe it. Over, mm-hmm, what is going on over in Europe right now with uh, Boris, uh, he, he was a test case with Brexit. And what we are saying, and him not wanting to leave right now is... It harkens back to Trump not wanting to leave, uh, but because of their parliamentary system and everything, theirs works a little bit different. Um, but we are seeing a coordinated effort, and and what Americans have to, what we have to understand is we are being attacked. Our system of government has been infiltrated. Uh, we have Republicans that have sold out to foreign countries such as Russia. And, 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 and Saudi, et cetera, and we are at risk. If we do not do what we need to do, we will lose democracy forever. They're not going to give it back. I'm with you, Shay. So I, I mean, you got Rand Paul hand-delivering private messages from Donald Trump to Vladimir Putin. I mean, that's how weird it is. And that was, that was just a couple of weeks after six or seven Republican senators and a member of the House uh, went and spent the 4th of July in, in Moscow. I think you're absolutely right. I do think that they're, and I, and I don't think Russia is alone in this, by the way. I, I think that the Saudis are in on this. I think that there's other countries yeah. as well. It's a, I think China mm-hmm. is playing this game. I think basically what's happening is the world is splitting into two poles. There are the democratic nations, small d democratic nations, and there are the autocratic nations. And the autocratic nations are doing everything they can to essentially destroy confidence among the citizens of the democratic nations in their system with you know in the hopes of replacing it with an autocratic system they're all trying to make the world safe for autocracy and oligarchy and and you've got a bunch of american oligarchs who are in this game as well and and you know because they don't they don't believe in democracy either and they'll tell you that right up front you know the libertarians are you know no uh, the economy is more important than democracy you know you know democracy is mob rule that's that's uh, ayn rand's thing she was opposed to democracy and and then mm-hmm. you know and then you get these guys elected to congress like mike lee and, and Rand paul who just proudly say that they're libertarians it's like that's saying i hate democracy i hate america it's astonishing. Yeah. Shay, and, I had and, no and idea that DeSantis' press secretary was a, was yeah. a Russian agent. I, I, you know, is yeah. this widely known in Florida? It was, it was brushed under the, because uh, uh, I, I was telling Sean, there was not a lot of press on it. He came out and did a little press conference making light of it and saying, you know, basically supporting her and basically saying, and she's very anti-media. Uh, and you know, and oh, and one other thing that she did that that harkens back to what Bill Barr did, she actually uh, and some other people, she actually sent her resume in saying, "Hey, I'd like to throw my ring in for, uh, you know, for any position within uh, the Satan's uh, <laughs> uh, administration if there's anything available." Washington Post, June 8, 2022. But what I also want to say is I am very aggravated, irritated, and PO'd at the Democratic Party in Florida because 
uh, Chris is running, and as well as um, can't call her name right now, Nikki Freed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they need to be calling this stuff out. The FDP for the Democratic Party needs to be calling this stuff out right now yeah. because what the nation does not want is Ron DeSantis sitting in the seat of the presidency. And uh-huh. when when Scott was the senator, uh, well, the governor, he did what Bush did for uh, for uh, George. He he was trying to commandeer the election machine. Yep. And, and so we have to be very clear about what is happening. And these guys are all, by the way, willing to see Floridians die. They're refusing to expand Medicaid just to keep the, the campaign contributions coming and, and basically stick it to working people in Florida. And, and for mm-hmm. some reason, you know, they keep getting reelected. Shay, I've got to move along, but thank you. Thanks for the heads up on that. I do appreciate it. Tom in Morgantown, West Virginia. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind? I want to put something out there for you and your listeners to uh, keep in mind uh, when they're hearing debate or if they're actually actively involved in debate that has to do with uh, gun rights issues. Mm -hmm. Inevitably, the right winger is going to uh, say that uh, it is a mental health issue. Uh, We need to make the point that their contention that it's a mental health issue is actually harming mental health. Uh, it stigmatizes something, uh, the, the truly mentally ill, with something that they're actually not involved with. Yeah, the vast majority of mentally ill people are not violent, and, and they are the victims of their mental illness, not you know the perpetrators of some kind of evil on society. Absolutely. You know, uh, incel and uh, right-wingery and uh, uh, white supremacy. These are not mental illnesses. These are opinions that people are choosing to hold. Exactly, exactly. And, and what's happening is, uh, I think, that we're actually causing real harm to the mentally ill. I agree. And I, I would like to have uh, our candidates uh, stand up and say so in debate. Uh, I'd really like to see that, too. Yeah. I'm anyway, I just wanted to make that point. Well, an excellent point, Tom. Thank you for calling and making it. Malcolm in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. Hey, Malcolm, what's on your mind today? In terms of gun control, I think at this point the problem is too far gone, and we have to go after social media companies, because right now there's no shortage. Even if, if Biden were to ban assault rifles, you can go on YouTube and find videos trending with millions of views on how to make your own, right. as well as Amazon links, you know, where to buy stuff. And as you saw what happened in Japan, they said largely it was homemade guns. Right, it was essentially a ghost gun. Yeah, and we've got right. tens of thousands of ghost guns now in the United States because there's actually a whole industry making and selling them now. And you have governors that are saying, it's okay if you have them, the police can't even question you or ask you any questions about it. So I feel like, unfortunately, we're at a point like natural disasters where you just kind of hope it doesn't happen to you. And if we didn't really take action after Las Vegas in 2017, where you had arguably the largest mass shooting in U.S. history, 413 injured. And the craziest part about that is that it took 30 minutes to figure out where the gun, where the bullets were coming from. He could have got away for all right. intents and purposes. Right. And yet we only changed bump stocks. But right now on YouTube, there's videos that have been up for one week with 12 million views still on how to make bump stocks. Right. Right. Yeah, no, it's not rocket science, Malcolm. Uh, you know, when Australia, after the Tasmanian slaughter, I, I think it was 36 or 37 people were killed in Tasmania, or shot anyway. Right, 60 yeah. in Vegas. 
After that Tasmanian slaughter, Australia passed some pretty rigorous gun control measures, uh, you know, uh, stuff that I think that we should think about in the United States, outlawing semi-automatic weapons um, and, uh, and basically saying that we're going to treat guns like cars. You know, you've got to have a license and all that kind of stuff. And then they instituted a nationwide buyback program. And my recollection, it's in my, it's in my book on guns, but my recollection, which I wrote three years ago, so this is from memory, but my yeah, recollection is that when they did their nationwide gun buyback, buyback program, they got over 700,000 guns off the streets. Now, Australia is a, a country with, uh, I think the population is between 20 and 30 million people. I could be wrong, but it's, it's not right. huge. I mean, it's not like the right. United States at 300 million. So uh, let's say it's one-tenth of the population in the United States. That would scale up to, you know, being around nine and a half million guns here in the United States if we were to do a similar buyback program. I realize it's a drop in the bucket. There's 400 million guns in circulation. There's 20 million assault weapons or 20 million AR-15 type assault weapons, not to mention, you know, all the millions of others. But I do think that a gun buyback program, along with a good nationwide education program about the fact that if you have a gun in your home, you're, you are less, you're, you're more likely to have someone in your home die or be injured by that gun accidentally or even intentionally, but not in the in the course of self-defense, um, than than to use it for self-defense. For 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 a, 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 roughly every 150 shootings in America, there is one defensive shooting, and so I mean it's just it's it's so a good public education program combined with a hey we want to give you money, we will buy your guns back. I think that that's a great starting point. Um, I'm not willing to give up on this, Malcolm, but I think your point is, is well made. And see, that public education program right now with the GOP, they would consider that wokeness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not well, allow it screw the GOP. I, I, I have ceased right. to, be, uh, to be concerned about their opinions on these matters because they're just, you know, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not playing um, right. an honest game. You know, they're, 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 exactly. they're, they're not playing with any integrity at all. Malcolm, thank you for the call. Troy in Chicago. Hey, Troy, what's on your mind today? Tom, I am. Can you hear me okay? Sure. Super nervous talking to you. First, uh, long, first time caller, long time listener. Well, thank Tom, you. I'm ex-military progressive, and I just wanted to thank you so much for all your knowledge to the point where lately, as all this injustice has been happening, I've agreed to do the monthly subscriber because it's like a college course every day, and I just wanted to thank you first off. Oh, you're welcome. You, by monthly subscriber, you're talking about on Free Speech TV? Yes. Yeah. Well, cool. I do the $5 a month. Yeah, or yeah. help anything. them out. It's, it's a great it's, network. It makes me feel good. So anyway, my uh, my whole thing is on Facebook. I'm getting you know all these people that I know that are complaining about gas prices and how it's our, our leader of our country. And my opinion, I think Trump had a lot to do with this country shutdown. As far as the pandemic is concerned, he acted. He could have acted way sooner. He he could have believed in science and was up front with the American people. Got a plan together because he had time. Instead, he downplayed it. Um, and more people believed him. They got sick. You know, spreading it at his rallies, joked about wearing masks, made false claims on how it would just disappear, and it got so out of hand that there was nothing else we could do to, to shut down. If we would have just acted sooner, more responsibly, I don't think we'd be in such a, a, a tight situation now. Would you agree, or how do you feel about that? I absolutely agree, Troy. He pushed people back out into the economy because he saw coming what happened, which is that. You know, shutting down the country would lead to a recession, and a recession causes, you know, politicians uh, causes the, uh, the the electorate 
to kick out the, the existing uh, administration. Um, right. You know, and he was he was riding a good economy, and he saw it collapse around him. So he thought he could push us back. And the result of that is that America, the United States of America, has, uh, if not the worst, I mean, maybe there's a few third world countries, but certainly among developed countries, the worst rate of COVID death in the world. I mean, you know, a yeah. million over a million dead Americans, and multiple studies now have have shown that at least three hundred thousand out of that million did not need to die if we had simply practiced common sense stuff like wearing masks. I mean, continue going to work, but just wear masks and 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 things like that. And and more could have uh, would have not died had Trump, uh, you know, maintained the quarantine or the shutdown or whatever you want to call it or some variation on it uh, until vaccines were available. As many yeah. countries did, as most countries did. So, uh, you know, this was all for political benefit that he did. It was a, a craven act. He's got blood on his hands, in my opinion, and all the people oh, yeah. who, were, who were there supporting him. And now, you know, you've got people like Deborah Burks coming out and, and saying, yeah, I was there, and that's exactly what happened. Trump lied to us, and, and Americans died. I mean, she came out and said that she thought he was responsible for 200,000 unnecessary American deaths. Um, I yeah. think that number is conservative, but I'm a conductor here in Chicago, and it, it was amazing how my company was almost ready to discipline us for trying to wear a mask early on because they thought that we would alarm the public. Oh my, oh my! Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And that's got to be a tough one if you're, you know, on the receiving end of a lot of. I'm in a, I'm in a petri dish every day. Yeah, <laughs> all day. Exactly, exactly. Well, t <laughs> Troy, stay stay safe, and and thanks a lot for the call. Thank you, Tom, for all you do. You're welcome. Good talking with you. Rich in Eugene, Oregon. Hey, Rich, what's up? Hey, Tom. Although I called to challenge your recommendation that progressives infiltrate the uh, Democratic Party and take it over from the inside, I want to first uh, offer a quick personal note. In all 76 years of my life, I have never seen our country unravel as it is today, particularly with this level of discontent, isolation, and fear. So the next time I call, I look forward to um, offering a way out of this reality, not just what we need to do, but how we need to, uh, to do it. Wanting to address your belief the, that progressives must take over the Democratic Party by working inside of it as precinct committee people or people. Among other things, yeah. After a deeper look into the reality of actually doing it, specifically looking at the parties inhibiting bylaws, special rules of order, and other procedures, and with it the structural impediments for any progressive working inside the centrist Democratic Party, what becomes blatantly obvious is the futility. Excuse me, the futility of even attempting it. Well, how did Jamie McLeod Skinner just kick uh, the you know what's his name out of out of power here, just south of us? What's yeah, his, I know. What's his name? Schrader, Kurt Schrader. Right. Thank you. Right, I was going to mention it. I'm talking about working from the inside out. For well, example, that's what she did. She got inside uh, the party. It. She worked her way up through the party. She she declared her nominee, you know, her willingness to run for that seat. He was a Democrat. He was a corporate Democrat. Um, you know, she she got the not only got the nomination, but you know, four four of the Democratic parties, the state or the county Democratic parties, yeah, representing three of the counties that that you know touched his district, all endorsed her. Well, let me tell you, if anything, I think that might be an isolated example. Uh, today, throughout the country, uh, the Democratic Party discourages internal dissent among its elected officials. Well, all parties do that, that would Rich. Be 
And that that's, would be that's a normal thing. Elected, this is true of any institution. Elected. All institutions try for stasis. They all they all want to be how they've always been. And that's why we need to get inside and break them up. And it is working. You heard, I don't know if you heard, last, yesterday we had the, this guy on from West Virginia. They took over the whole damn state's party. It started out in one county. And they ended let's up talk. taking over the whole state of West Virginia. Now they're going after let's Joe talk. Manchin. Let's talk specifics. I am and, talking uh, specifics. All right. In California, uh, for example, it means removal. If you, uh, uh, if you publicly encourage anyone not to vote for the party's endorsed candidate, like a centrist, likely a centrist. In Pennsylvania, I don't know if that's true. Make a, I'm, you know, I've got a friend who's uh, constantly you, running against Nancy Pelosi, and he stays on the ticket. Believe me, I had better things to do than to look this stuff up. So just please check it out. You can't even make in Pennsylvania a disparaging remark about the party or its office holders. Then get inside and the party in Pennsylvania and change the rules, Rich. Rather than sitting around complaining about the rules and trying to document how terrible they are, change them. Lead a movement to change them. I'm sorry. I'm over it with this whiny. I'm so, oh, we can't do anything. Oh, the rules are so, oh, these Democrats are so mean. Grow a spine, damn it. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. This is like a, a variation on the, oh, we don't, we don't want to really push things hard because it might piss off the Republicans. I mean, really? Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Jeff in San Francisco. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching Free Speech. Uh, I just want a little positive that Gavin Newsom has a program where California is starting to make it its own insulin. I don't know if you heard about I that. I read that this morning. Yeah, in fact, I, I uh, thought about mentioning it on the air, and it kind of slipped through my through my uh, brain. <laughs> but, but thank you for bringing it up. And by the way, you know they've started. It's called CalRx. They've started a, uh, a generic drug manufacturing company run by the state. 
I know. Well, I mean, they talk about states' rights. I mean, we're the bluest that is. We, you know, we have the most power. We need to start using that power. And he's using and his state budget surplus to do this, by the way. And <laughs> budget surplus, really? And the reason we, you know, why we have a surplus because we have higher taxes on the rich. That's right. Here in California, that's right. And they, the, the rich whine about it, like famous golf people who say, "Oh, I got to pay so much, I should move out." Go ahead, get it, get out of here. We don't need you. Yeah. You know, but yeah. there's plenty of people in so, California. Yeah, so there's there's some positive. I think Gavin's going for 2024. Oh He's yeah, there's no doubt about it. He he has all but declared it when he when he went after DeSantis in Florida last week. So, Do I mean, you think, I mean, you, you live there. I, Jeff, I don't live there. You've, you've, you've called enough times that I have a pretty good sense of your politics and I have a lot of respect for them. How progressive would you describe Gavin Newsom and what kind of chance do you think he has of becoming president? You know, like I said, he's not perfect. He didn't, when it came, he didn't bring up for a vote when we, we had the chance for a national, uh, for a state health care program here. Yeah, I, I don't know if you call that. And it, and it disappointed me. But I mean, you got to grow a spine and be a big boy, and you got to take. Well, I think there was also the fact that there was no Medicare and Medicaid waiver, so in place, this federal waiver has to happen first. So it wouldn't have done any good. But but you know, maybe that's just an excuse. I don't know. But do you think I mean, he has a chance of actually you know being the nominee? I, well, I do. I mean, I don't know how they go about that, but I mean, you run a primary. Yeah, I mean, he would start. He would start in California. Is that what happened? Well, no. You, you, the the Democratic Party has a schedule for primaries when there is a presidential primary, um, and I think they they also start in New Hampshire. I could be wrong, or Iowa, one or the other. I think he would have the women behind him. You know, and everybody who has a gay child or is you know you know mm -hmm. he started a gay marriage in San Francisco. I was there at the first weddings with my. I had a field trip when I was teaching school. And we saw the first weddings at the the you know the downtown where we have the the offices and uh, I can't think of the name, <laughs> but uh, so he's I think he's got more better than Ron DeSantis. He's, you know, if the people show up. Well, yeah. that's the next generation would be DeSantis versus Newsom. Um, although, as I as I pointed out a couple of days ago, Kamala Harris is actually polling pretty good right now. But you know, it's not. We're not yeah. in, the, in the scrum Come of it on, yet. Tom. Yeah, well, I don't want to. We'll see. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll I personally for, think Newsom is far more charismatic. Do you think that he would be hurt by the fact that he was married to Kimberly Guilfoyle? Oh, everybody makes mistakes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a big one. But, uh, <laughs> you would think. She was somewhat normal back in the day, but she's gone wackadoodle. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, if you marry, you know, one of the Trumps or whatever she did. Yeah, that, she hasn't married him yet, but she's uh, shacking up with him right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jeff, you know. I got to run. Well, let's let's think positive. Thank you so much. There you go. Okay, thank you. Yeah, we'll 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 think positive. I, you know, I think Gaffin Newsom has the potential. I I really do. We'll see. Beachside Bill in Orlando, Florida. Hey, Bill, what's up? I didn't know there was Beachside in Orlando. I thought it was in the middle of the state. I live on Florida's space coast. I used to call Michelangelo, and I back. 15 years ago or so, and oh I, I would say Bill in Orlando because it was the closest city and everybody knows Orlando. Not many uh -huh. people know Melbourne, Florida, and all that. But oh, okay. anyway, yeah. that's, this is where I live. Where, where Elon Musk shoots his rockets off and everything okay. else. I heard you talking about him earlier. Yeah. I have a couple quick things on abortion and guns. First thing on abortion, I think that this November, it, 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 it will never happen, at least in our lifetime, but this November, I think. Uh, a separate ballot should be handed to women 
the uh, simple question, answer yes or no, should abortion be legal nationwide? And yes, we could add the stipulations of Roe and Casey or whatever, make it just for women. And I know that's, it'll it's never happen. happen. But, yeah. but I get your, I I get your sentiment. You know, and as for guns, I think Florida should be branded as a terrorist state, you know, towards the children especially. I think Florida is, is, is well, how they're treating our children here is, is, is despicable. I think, the, uh, I mean, the government... I get your concern, Bill, but uh, let's, let's be careful of our language. I mean, you know, I don't want to dilute know, the impact of I, that I know, I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm yeah. being, you know, I'm kidding, but you understand. I totally do. I'm Bill, kidding. Bill, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for your thoughts. Steve in Palmdale, California. Hey, Steve, what's up? Hi, Tom. It's good to see you again. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's assume happily that Trump is indicted. Now, as a former president, he has a secret service detail. And following the January 6th insurrection, there's been a lot of talk about key members of that detail being Trumpers, being right. faithful to, to Trump. Um, now, he's obviously a flight risk, and I could easily see uh, members of his detail uh, facilitating his exit from the United States. Do we know or do we have a way of finding out if that detail has been replaced with the uh, real Americans? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to it. I also don't know if we're still paying uh, Mar-a-Lago for the social, for the uh, uh, secure, for his Secret Service detail to be staying there in the hotel or wh whatever you call that property, or if they were able to get people who live in the neighborhood. You know, I, I, I just I know nothing about it, frankly. So I, I, I don't know the answer to your question, Steve. I'm sorry. And there's billions of ways in which he could corrupt any Secret Service detail. Yeah, yeah. Well, he certainly did when he was in the White House. So yeah, Steve, I, it's a good, good point. But I'm sorry, I don't have an easy answer for you or a quick answer off the top of my head. Rockford in Burlington, Washington. Hey, Rockford, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I just wanted to counter the narrative that I've seen written about enthusiasm being low and uh, therefore turnout's going to be low and. I think it's silly because a lot of great things have happened. Infrastructure investment, uh, you know, all the things you're talking about, even, you know, some kind of gun reform. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of people, ton of people that are still wanting to do better things for people, for society. And I'd like to point out that historical context and current context are important, but elections are about the future. And people have the power. They still have the power. They always have the power. They just need to exercise it. Yeah. So you, your sense of things, Rockford, is that there will be a huge turnout this fall. I think that that's the case, too. I think that this has the, the probability of being a Democratic sweep. Well, I'm, ho I'm hoping so, you know, but regardless of how you vote, you need to express your opinion. You need to yeah. vote. Yeah. I vote Democratic. I'm hoping that there's a Democratic tsunami. But people need to express their opinions. They need to exercise their right. They need to vote. And I was looking at census data. And I considered, you know, underage people, immigrants, uh, felons, or incarcerated people. And I'm thinking there's probably somewhere around 230 million people that could be eligible to vote. Could you imagine if yeah. 230 million people paid attention and voted? My understanding be... is that it's probably closer to 120 million because there's 150 million people who are registered to vote right now in the United States. And, and there's, you know, 320 million of us all together. And I forget the exact percentage that is people under 18, but it's not inconsequential, um, you know. And then 
uh, you know, the other folks, you know, that you mentioned. But, you know, felons can vote in most states, uh, not all states. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, it's a small quibble with your numbers, but I think that, that uh, your point is really, really well made. Rockford, thank you. Thank you for calling and making it. Dallas in Alpena, Michigan. Hey, Dallas, what's on your mind today? Yes, sir. Pleasure for uh, the opportunity to speak with you, long-time listener. I'm not sure where I'd be without you. Well, thank you, Dallas. Yeah. yeah. yeah I was having a conversation. Well, first of all, I, just so you know, I haven't missed a presidential election in my life. I'm 70 years old. Good I graduated from Market Township High School. Thank you. And um, so I have conversations on a regular basis about politics and so on. So I'm having a conversation the other day with a friend, and we were discussing the gas prices. So I just hit a quick numbers in my head, and I'm not sure I'm correct. So when I put it on Facebook, I ask anyone to correct me if I'm wrong. But in 1970, um, you know, uh, minimum wage was a couple bucks an hour. Gas prices was 36 cents or something a gallon. And then today's minimum wage and today's gas prices, a minimum wage worker had to work five hours a week in 1970 to buy 20 gallons of gas. And they have to work five hours a week in today's economy to buy 20 gallons of gas. Oh, that's interesting. That's what I thought. I I ask uh, my friends on Facebook if I'm, because I just did those numbers quickly in my head. If I'm incorrect, somebody correct me. So yeah. I thought I'd call you. <laughs> no, it sounds it sounds right to me. I mean, we do have a, a bit of a problem here. I mean, oil is below $100 a barrel. The last time oil was at $100 a barrel, the price of gas was $3.54 a gallon, if I'm remembering correctly. It was well under $4, which is not the case right, right now. So we're what we're experiencing is price gouging. But uh, exactly. I think your point is brilliant. Right. Dallas, thank you for the call. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. You know, Dallas's logic is so great. That's one of the best ways to, to understand anything, is how many hours do you have to work to afford a house? How many hours do you have to work to anything is to understand things like inflation? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Criminology on Trump by Greg Barak. This is from the introduction. Criminology on Trump is about family business, habitual lawlessness, and the struggle for economic and political power. The central character, Donald Trump, is a con artist, a master gaslighter, and a shrewd racketeer. It is the story of how the Houdini white-collar crime and the founder and CEO of the Trump Organization operated a criminal enterprise from within an incorporated organization beginning in 1980 and continuing up to and from within the bowels of the White House for four years. At the same time, it's the history of the causation of the social, psychological, and physical harms connected to the Donald and his associates before, during, and after the presidency. This book is also an account of the activities that Donald Trump pursued in order to obtain the power of Commander-in-Chief of the United States, what he then did with that power of the bully pulpit once he achieved it, and finally, the links to which he would go to keep from losing that power. Lastly, this is the story of what many, many, unelect, many elected and appointed politicos did or did not do to acquire or to forfeit their individual shares 
of Trumpian power. This overall analysis of the underside of the rule of law begs the question, had the Donald not become the 45th president of the United States, would he, his children, or the Trump Organization have found themselves formal defendants and legal adversaries of the people of the state of New York? My answer unequivocally would have been no way. As of January 6, 2022, the question remains open as to whether Donald Trump, as the former president, or any of his family members will ever be indicted and prosecuted for criminal tax fraud and the other felonies, along with the Trump Organization, Inc., and its CFO, Alan Weisselberg. From the point of view of newsmaking, lawlessness, and equal justice, much of the popular discourse surrounding Trump has to do with competing narratives. The most reverberating of these has been the dueling apocalyptic narratives traversing both old and new media platforms alike. One narrative has to do with witch hunts, hoaxes, fake news, global elites, and the deep state engaging in a myriad of underworld and other and otherworld conspiracies to bring down Trump. The other narrative has to do with saving the U.S. democracy from authoritarianism, recovering law and order from the damage, chaos, and trauma of Trump, and restoring American normalcy without all of that political insanity. While these two narratives capture the cultural conflict, the diverse groups of people at work here and the rival social movements of incompatible interests, desires, and visions, neither speaks to the fundamental structural conditions that generate the divisiveness between these two narratives. Without ever addressing these structural relationships, the two sides will remain at loggerheads for some time to come. The medium is always, as always, is still the message. And so far in the 21st century, social media is the medium. At the same time, the weaponizing of racism, misogyny, hate, fear, intimidation, and, and violence vis-a-vis -vis social media is neither new nor unique to the United States. These socio-cultural socio expressions of the contradictions of patriarchy, neocolonialism, and capitalism have been around since the nation's inception. Today's Proud Boys are the contemporary versions of New England churchmen in the 1700s, the Klan riders of the 1800s, or the fervent followers of Joseph McCarthy in the 1950s. Likewise, the anti-critical race theory politicians of today that do the bidding for white minority rule and racial discrimination are very much the same as John C. Calhoun fronting for the rich plantation owners during the antebellum South. The primary differences between the not-so-distant past of the last 75 years and the present have to do with the disbursements of the accumulation of capital. From post-World War II until around 1974, the United States experienced close to three decades of unparalleled upward social mobility, as well as a rapidly expanding middle class. However, since the mid-1970s to 2022, there's been a steady increase in economic inequality, a shrinking middle class, and downward social mobility for many. Thus, the contemporary bipartisan erosion of the liberal capitalist consensus in the United States is not the primary cause of our present democratic crisis, but it is rather symptomatic of a much broader problem that neither the Republicans, excuse me, as a whole, nor most of the Democrats are willing to accept. The book, oh, well, continuing. I'm referring to the inability of our bourgeois democratic system to resolve the contradictions of a political economy that promises the American dream to one and all and yet caters to the richest 1% and provides suitably for the upper 10%.
In other words, our, our country's present-day conflicts over identity politics, government failures, neoliberal policies, right-wing intransigencies, and climate change not only predate Donald Trump and Trumpism, but they are all fundamentally driven by the unrelenting and expanding political economy of structural inequality. What makes this Trump, this Trump book different from the others is that it is the only one grounded in the scientific study of crime and social control. Criminology focuses on the pathology of harmful acts and the cultural construction of both crime and punishment. The book is Criminology on Trump by Greg Barak. Greg Barak, by the way, is an expert in criminology, as you might guess. Patricia in Reddick, Florida. Hey, Patricia, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I just wanted to add my voice to yours, to what you said to the caller about the, um, our side being timid. The Republicans have engaged in a 50-year war against women, Social Security, unions, gay people, voting rights. Uh, and we have, what, four months to pull this country back from the brink. And what, how do we get our, the Dems to stop acting like prisoners of war? I, I think we need to say what you and I are saying right now, Patricia. We need, we need to reach out to our politicians. The phone number for Congress is 202-225-3121. Reach out to your state-level politicians. Get involved in your local Democratic Party and, and help them find the spine to fight. Uh, you know, there's a growing uh, acknowledgement. There was an article about this in the New York Times yesterday that, that uh, the Biden administration has been way too timid and that people want a fighter. We yeah. want a fighter in the White House. We want fighters in Congress. I mean, look at the, the Republicans voted 40, what, 47 times, if my recollection serves me right, to, over, to repeal Obamacare. They knew every single one of those votes was going to fail. They knew it. But what did it do? Yeah. It, 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 it told their voters that we're fighting for you. And their voters showed up and rewarded them. Democrats right. start fighting. Well, it's, I live in Florida, Tom. It's pretty hard not to get discouraged here. I am involved in my local. I live in one of the reddest counties of the state, too. So yeah. it's not fun down here. But um, there is a small bunch of us who are fighters but Jesus that's what I feel like they're acting like prisoners of war they are it's so, like Stockholm yeah, syndrome you know exactly. oh yes my so friends anyway. across the aisle and we've got to worry about what the Republicans might do if we do away with the filibuster I believe in democracy you know if the majority yeah, says this is the way it is that's the way it is and you know I, I realize it cuts both ways that's why that's why it's called democracy Patricia thank you thank you for the call spot on Whew. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag your it. And by the way, be good to yourself and the people around you. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.